quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Uh, breaking news, President Trump just moments ago saying that it looks like Iran is responsible for the coordinated attack on Saudi Arabian oil fields over the weekend, but that he does hope to avoid war. However, he also said this. I'm not looking to get into new conflict, but sometimes you have to. President Trump also warning that the U.S. is more prepared for conflict than any other nation in the world. CNN's Pamela Brown is at the White House for us. And Pamela, the president saying that it looks like Iran is behind this attack. He did not say it definitively. Mm -hmm. Did he offer any evidence, any proof? Uh, He did not offer any proof, Jake. And it is notable that while he did imply that Iran was behind the attack on the uh, Saudi oil facilities, uh, he said several times that it looks like Iran, but he wouldn't blame Iran squarely. He said that it's still being checked out, uh, that we'll know definitively soon. Uh, At one point, a reporter said to him, well, you're you're placing the responsibility in Iran. And he came back and said, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying uh, it looks that way. It could be Iran, uh, but we'll have to wait and see for sure once it's very verified through checking this out. Now, that is notable because Jake, his own secretary of state, uh, tweeted that it was Iran that launched the attack on the Saudi oil facility. So clearly the president trying to hedge here, uh, choosing his words carefully. And he also says that, no, he doesn't want to go to war with Iran, but then touted the U.S. military prowess, saying that the U.S. has the best uh, weapons system. And he went on to list all the different ways in in which the the U.S. could launch an even bigger attack than what uh, happened in Saudi Arabia. And so he did sort of put out this thinly veiled threat that the U.S. could respond, uh, although he did say he does not want to go to war with Iran. Now, as you know, the president had tweeted that the U.S. is um, locked and loaded, which uh, seemed to indicate that the U.S. was ready, that he was ready to pull the trigger on a military strike. An administration official, the vice president chief of staff, had walked that back saying it was merely a broad term. Uh, And he also said that he does not believe diplomacy is dead with Iran. Jake? All right, Pamela Brown at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, Let's go now to the Saudi capital of Riyadh, uh, where we find CNN's Nick Robertson. And Nick, the Saudis uh, specifically are pointing their finger at Iran, uh, with whom, of course, they're involved in this proxy war uh, in Yemen. Did did the Saudis have any evidence uh, that the attack was launched from within Iran? Yeah, the Saudis say they do. Uh, They say that the weapon systems that were used were Iranian weapon systems, and they plan to invite journalists, they said this today, uh, to take a look. But we've just had in the last few minutes, uh, Jake, a statement from the Saudi foreign ministry here, and they say that they're going to invite UN and international experts to join the investigation to help examine the evidence that they're coming up with uh, so that there can be, it appears, uh, better international coordination and perhaps 
support for what the Saudis are saying. So they, they, they're indicating that they're going to take, uh, they're going to try and bring the international community with them on what they're saying so far. They do say, however, that they will take appropriate action depending on the outcome and the uh, findings of their investigation. They say that they have the capacity and resolve to defend their land. Specifically right now, however, while saying that these were Iranian weapon systems, they are saying they are still investigating precisely where those weapons were fired from. They have, however, ruled out Yemen as being that base. So again, it is, is all swinging round a point at Iran, but the Saudis at the moment taking a sort of a more statesmanlike diplomatic role, if you will, trying to bring in international support for the position they say they find themselves in here. Jake? All right, Nick Robertson in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Thanks so much. Uh, let's uh, chat about this with our experts here. We have with us the former Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, Mike Rogers, also here with us as CNN national security uh, reporter Kylie Atwood. And Kylie, let me start with you. What are you hearing from the Trump administration about any evidence or any next steps? That's right. So President Trump just announced that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is going to be, be making a trip to Saudi Arabia. That's something new. We didn't know that. We have asked the State Department when this trip is going to take place. We don't know. But he said that the Secretary of State would be going with other U.S. officials to essentially sit down with Saudi Arabia and discuss what the U.S. has here and what Saudi has in terms of intelligence. I think it's important to note, however, that it was Pompeo who over the weekend came out first and mm -hmm. said that yeah. Iran was to blame for this attack and also called on all nations to condemn uh, Iran for doing this. And then we heard uh, President Trump sort of rolling back the rhetoric there, saying that we believe we know who the culprit is and calling on other nations um, not to come out and necessarily make this condemnation. But it is Secretary of State Pompeo who's going to be picking up the baton, meeting with Saudi officials in Saudi Arabia. And the other interesting thing that President Trump was asked about today by reporters is does the U.S. promise, have they promised Saudi Arabia that the U.S. will defend them? And he said, no, this was an attack against Saudi Arabia. It was not one against the U.S. Saudi Arabia is a close U.S. ally, but not necessarily saying there that they are planning any military strikes, even though we know that that's on the table because it's something he discussed. Chairman Rogers, what do you make of where we are hearing a lot of kind of conflicting messages? Uh, we don't want to go to war, but sometimes you have to. Uh, where we stand with our ally Saudi Arabia, but we're not necessarily going to get involved in this. W what signal uh, do you think the president is trying to send here? Uh, I think the biggest signal he sent to me is when he said, I'll either send a message or I won't send any message at all. I interpret that to mean there are clandestine covert action type activities that can cause harm that makes the point to the United States. We won't tolerate this kind of activity. And remember, he was very clear. I thought this was pretty good for the president in a freewheeling uh, kind of a way for him to talk about policy. He was pretty reserved that we are going to find out the facts, that we are going to present the facts. The fact that the Saudis invited international participation, I tell you, that wasn't done just arbitrarily. That was done in conjunction with U.S. saying, let's bring the world in to see the evidence. I thought, candidly, I, I really was a little bit relieved that they're taking an appropriate approach when they get there, then they'll have all of the options available. If they would have gone out and done something pretty quickly, it would have diminished the kinds of things that they would have been able to do to Iran uh, to bring them to heel. And it wouldn't have been uh, strong enough to build an international coalition to push back on them. Right now, if they stick to this plan, 
Mm -hmm. It looks to me that they'll build this international coalition to push back on Iranian activity. And what are you hearing uh, from U.S. allies? Uh, What are the options here? Well, that's the thing. We aren't hearing necessarily um, any proof from the U.S. side that they are working to build this international coalition Mm -hmm. right now. We know that uh, U.S. officials have called at least one U.S. ally in the Middle East and said that they do have this intelligence that says Iran was to blame and that the attack likely originated from Iran. So that's pretty big. But we aren't hearing about uh, Secretary Pompeo calling his allies uh, in France or um, in other Middle Eastern countries and saying, let's all come together on this. We know that he spoke with the British foreign minister over the weekend, um, but we're still waiting to hear what the U.S. really wants to do here. Uh, Can I just add to that? The one thing the president said, and I, I agree with you completely, is he mentioned France and Germany, two key players in the intelligence side in Iran. France has pretty good uh, access in Iran. They, their intelligence would be really important. This is the fact that the president mentioned France. I'm going to bet that there are some kind of conversations, and that's why they're pulling back a little bit to try to build it. Don't know that for sure, and you're right, but I, I took this as a positive sign that they're looking to try to build an international coalition. Around. Very interesting. Thanks, one, one and all. Uh, more breaking news. Uh, in the effort to get the president's tax returns, the new subpoena forcing the issue in front of a judge. That's next. Stay with us. We have some breaking news in our politics lead today. Prosecutors in New York have subpoenaed eight years worth of President Trump's tax returns as part of its investigation into hush money payments made to two women alleging affairs with Mr. Trump ahead of the 2016 election. The story was first reported by the New York Times. Let's bring in CNN's uh, Kara Scannell. Kara, prosecutors want not only the president's personal returns, but also those of the Trump organization, you say. Yeah, Jake, that's right. Sources tell us that the subpoena from the district attorney's office, that's for New York County, that's Cy Vance, that they have subpoenaed Mazars. That's the accounting firm that has covered both Donald Trump's personal tax returns and the returns of the Trump organization. The subpoena is seeking those returns going back to 2011. Now, this is the most recent move in this investigation, which is only a couple of weeks old, where the state prosecutors are looking into the Trump organization and whether any state laws were violated in the payments of those hush money payments to women, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, who had alleged affairs with the president. As we reported last week, prosecutors from that office interviewed Michael Cohen, the president's former personal attorney and fixer, as part of that investigation. Now they have also subpoenaed the accounting firm trying to get both the personal and corporate tax returns of Donald Trump and the organization as part of this investigation, where they're looking to see if any state laws were violated, including possibly providing false business records relating to how Michael Cohen was re burst, Jake. All right. Thank you so much, Carica Scannell. Let's uh, have some expert analysis of this news now uh, with Carrie Cordero. She's a former counsel to the U.S. Assistant Attorney General. Uh, Carrie, so good to see you as always. So as you heard Carica uh, Scannell just, just mentioned, we know prosecutors recently visited with Michael Cohen, who's in prison uh, for his role in this, these hush money payments, partially, um, in recent weeks. Do you think that that is part of this? It could be. So if it was the same prosecutors, which I understand that it was, and again, these are state prosecutors, Manhattan DA, not federal prosecutors. If they went to go see Michael Cohn, one of the things that they could have been asking him was information that would help guide what they put into the subpoena. So the subpoena went to Trump organization and Trump personal uh, tax attorney, uh, tax accountants. And so he might have been able to give them some kind of guidance about here's what you should be looking for. You know, here's who prepared them. Here's some specific information that you could put in the subpoena so that the subpoena was targeted. 
So let's assume that the prosecutors are successful and they're able to subpoena these eight years worth of tax returns of Mr. President Trump personally and as well as the Trump organization. Does that mean that ultimately the public will finally get to see the tax returns? That would be a long way down a path. So I think what's going to happen is, first of all, I would expect um, Donald Trump and the Trump organization to see if their lawyers can intervene in some way and perhaps try to negotiate narrowing the scope of the subpoena. Then the way that the documents themselves and the information obtained pursuant to the subpoena would end up being public is if there was actually a case Evidence gathered in an investigation is not made public if there's not an actual prosecution and evidence used in that prosecution. So I think we're still a long way away from actually seeing those documents in this particular investigation. And of course, this is not the first subpoena issued in an attempt to get the president's tax returns. Uh, Democrats in Congress, uh, I think the House Ways and Means Committee, Mm -hmm. uh, have subpoenaed the president's banks for these documents. They have not gotten them yet. Is there any sense that this attempt made by the Manhattan DA would be more successful. Well, it's just different because it's using criminal investigative and state law means to get it versus on the congressional side, Congress is having to fight these constitutional issues with respect to whether Congress can get a president's uh, tax returns. One issue, though, because there is this political request for the information, I do think the New York DA is a little bit at risk of appearing to be doing investigations for political purposes. And that's a risk because we've seen this president uh, want to see investigations that are for political retribution. And so the DA is going to have to be really careful that they have a legitimate basis for this case and that this is not politically motivated. All right, Kerry Cordero, thanks so much for your expertise. We really appreciate it. Coming up, President Trump is now urging the Justice Department to rescue Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh from the media how the president could be laying the groundwork for a fight with Democrats over new accusations. That's next. Stay with us. In our politics lead today, moments ago, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell defended Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh on the Senate floor, slamming the call for impeachment from some Democrats as laughable, transparent and self-serving. Some Democrats, including six presidential candidates, are calling for Kavanaugh's impeachment this after a New York Times story based on a new book detailed a new allegation against the Supreme Court justice back when he was in college at Yale. The New York Times later clarified that the student involved in the alleged incident told friends she does not remember the incident. And as CNN's Jessica Schneider now reports for us, the president is calling on the Justice Department to, quote, rescue Kavanaugh from the news media. New revelations today in a letter obtained and reviewed by CNN. In it, Democratic Senator Chris Coons urged the FBI to reach out to a witness about Brett Kavanaugh's alleged misconduct at Yale. The letter is dated October 2nd, 2018, four days before Kavanaugh was confirmed. Coons writes he'd heard from several people who reportedly had key information but had trouble getting through to the FBI. Coons specifically asked the FBI to follow up with a man whose sources say was Max Steyer, a possible witness to the incident, and a Yale College classmate of Kavanaugh and Ramirez with information relevant to Ramirez's allegations. An FBI investigation of... Coons played a key role in the confirmation hearings. If Judge Kavanaugh is shown to have lied to the committee, nomination's over? Oh, yes. I would think so. 
convincing Republican Senator Jeff Flake to call for a supplemental FBI background investigation before Flake would vote Kavanaugh out of committee. But in a new book, New York Times reporters say the FBI did not investigate Steyer's alleged claim concerning another student. The newspaper later clarified, saying that student declined to be interviewed. Her friends say she doesn't remember the incident. Akunze tells CNN the FBI received the letter but never heard back. And a Democratic senator tells CNN, quote, the broader point is that the FBI investigation was not thorough and credible. CNN previously reported the FBI interviewed nine people in connection to claims by two other women against Kavanaugh, Christine Blasey Ford and Deborah Ramirez. I, Brett M. Kavanaugh, do solemnly swear. Now, almost a year after Justice Kavanaugh was sworn into the Supreme Court, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler is calling for a renewed inquiry. We're going to uh, start looking into the adequacy of the investigation upon which the confirmation was premised uh, when the FBI director comes before us next month. Right. While the president today and over the weekend defended Justice Kavanaugh over Twitter, telling him to start suing people for libel and saying the Justice Department should come to his rescue. But the Justice Department, of course, is not the personal attorney for the president or any Supreme Court justice. In the meantime, a Supreme Court spokeswoman says that Justice Kavanaugh had no comment on the new allegation against him or the calls for impeachment coming from some Democratic candidates. Jake, only one justice has ever been impeached. That was way back in 1805. And that justice was never actually removed from the bench by the Senate. Jake. All right, Jessica Snyder, so much. Ron, you know the, you know the name of that? Samuel Chase. Samuel Chase. Oh, wow. All right. Little, little, uh, little trivia. Uh, Aisha, let me start with you. Six Democratic candidates, presidential candidates, have called for Kavanaugh's impeachment. Three more say they would support an investigation into the allegations. But to be honest, there's this, Republicans control the Senate. There is no chance... Right. That that Kavanaugh would be impeached in, in this Senate. No. And, and Jerry Nadler in the House, who, who would be presumably starting the impeachment, says right now he's too focused on the president right now to be focused on Kavanaugh. What this looks like is that they want to say that there was a problem with the process and with the FBI investigation and that they didn't follow up on these claims. And the fact is that that is the case, that the reason the fact that this is coming out now and that the FBI didn't look into it, that's that's what gives it legs. Right. Is that the FBI didn't look into it. And so if you had an actual thorough investigation of these things, that could have been helpful to Kavanaugh and to the people who are who are accusing him to all parties so that you could actually put it to bed. But it hasn't been put to bed. So there are uh, some pundits out there saying that this ultimately could help Republicans Mm -hmm. Um, because this was so unifying uh, during the fight over Kavanaugh. Dave Weigel of The Washington Post says not only did Democrats fail to stop Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination, a consensus of Republicans and political strategists argued that by echoing accusations against him, Democrats energized conservative voters and tipped key Senate races toward the GOP, like in Indiana or in Missouri. Do you agree with that? Two things are true. Yes, the Kavanaugh fight energized Republicans. Uh, particularly in some of those states with heavy rural populations. Democrats also got the biggest number they've ever received in the history of polling among college-educated white women, in part because of Kavanaugh. And that was why they won so many suburban, routed Republicans in suburban seats around the country. To me, the significance of this report yesterday was less the new allegation than the fact that they said they had seven people who said that they were told contemporaneously uh, or, or a little later about the Deborah Ramirez allegation. Uh, and given that, I think it's, it's, it's highly unlikely. I don't think Democrats, I mean, they have enough impeachment discussion on their plate with Donald Trump. But if there's a Democratic president in 2021 
Do you think it's inconceivable that a Democratic-controlled House would begin to look at this process? I don't. I think it is more likely than not that if they have, particularly if they have unified control of government, they will at least consider and examine the evidence. And Antonia, the president's been relentlessly defending Kavanaugh on Twitter. He said, quote, the one who is actually being assaulted is Justice Kavanaugh, assaulted by lies and fake news. The latest uh, CNN poll uh, has him, Kavanaugh, at only a 33 Oh, I'm sorry. Is, is this a Kavanaugh or, or Trump? This is tr- Trump. I'm sorry. At a 33 <laughs> percent approval uh, among women, that's 12 points less than men. Strictly from a polling perspective, should sure. Trump be treading uh, more lightly on this issue? Let me tell you, I dealt with the entire Kavanaugh nomination, and I heard from a lot of women who have sons who said they get very nervous about a lot of these allegations. Almost all of them were tossed out. The Judiciary Committee, chaired by Chairman Grassley, went through every single one of these allegations and through all of them out. Grassley said today he hadn't heard of this allegation. True, I understand Mm -hmm. that's the latest one. And the accuser, alleged victim, said she had no recollection that it happened. So I'm a little confused as to if the alleged victim had no knowledge why we're sitting here talking about this today. Well, what do you think about that? Because, I mean, the New York Times, uh, in their op-ed, they had to add it. Uh, But then in the book, it makes clear that the the woman uh, who was the alleged victim of this incident or the alleged incident um, doesn't doesn't remember it. Has told friends she doesn't remember. Right. At the Times has done a lot of work on this, but they don't have subpoena power, and it's not a felony to lie to the New York Times. The FBI does, and the Senate Judiciary Committee does, and they dropped the ball. There will be unending pressure. Not right now, mm-hmm. not tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Unending pressure from the Democrats to get to the bottom of this. There's a cloud over Brett Kavanaugh that will what, be there. Are, to, to, I want to know, I wanna know if my Supreme Court justice is, is, is guilty of sexual okay. assault. That was already investigated. He, they're talking, okay, this reporting is saying they have multiple people who said they were told contemporaneously about it. And so which I which is different which than is, having seen it, having seen Correct. it. Exactly. Correct. And she, of that course, could have been a she, rumor. and she, of course, well, he said, you know, if it happened, it would have been the talk it of the campus. Talk of the campus. And, and, the, and the reporters argue, well, to some extent it was. So the question is whether or not the FBI investigation was thorough enough. Right. Well, that, and that was it the, circumscribed? Now, to the FBI's defense, this was not a criminal investigation. No, this that's was not what they do. A, a job yeah. interview background check. Right. And they may well have been circumscribed by by. The White House. I don't know that, but that's what I want to know. All right, everyone stick around. We got more to talk about a possible problem Joe Biden faces as he tries to shore up support among African-American voters. That's next. Stay with us. Back with our 2020 lead now and former Vice President Joe Biden in South Carolina today courting voters in the state where some 60 percent of Democrats who voted in the 2016 primary were African-American, Biden's strongest base of support as of now. As CNN's Arlette Science now reports, this all comes as Biden's bungled answer on the legacy of slavery at the debate last week is adding to growing questions about the former vice president's views and his sharpness. We have not relegated racism and white supremacy to the pages of history. Former Vice President Joe Biden's visits to states like Alabama and South Carolina, part of his push to win the black vote a key voting block in the path to the Democratic nomination. Biden's current front-runner status is powered in large part by support from black voters. Mine's been made up pretty much from the beginning. And who's that? Joe Biden. 
A recent CNN poll found 42 percent of black Democratic voters want Biden as their nominee, a 30-point difference from his closest rival, Bernie Sanders. But Biden has also faced some criticism for his past handling of race-related issues, like his role in crafting the 1994 crime bill and his opposition to school busing. And this response to a question about the legacy of slavery at last week's Democratic primary debate. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't want they don't know quite what to do. New York Times columnist Charles Blow writing comments like these and other issues from his past make a Biden candidacy problematic. It was a well-intentioned answer and it was a bad answer. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren unveiling a sweeping anti-corruption proposal that sets strict new limits on lobbying powers, including banning lawmakers and their senior staff from serving on corporate boards and requiring new lawmakers to disclose potential financial conflicts before taking office. The money is everywhere in so many different ways. The corruption infects so many different decisions that it comes to us what to do about it. The rollout coming hours before Warren delivers a major speech in New York City, where she'll use a teleprompter, a rare sight at her campaign events. Now we are here at the Gallivans Ferry Stump where Joe Biden and three other Democratic contenders will be giving speeches. Biden was here back in 2006 as he was gearing up to run for president last time around. He's hoping that those longtime relationships in the state will pay off for him in this campaign. Jake. All right. Our, our, our let signs. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, so here's the real division going on here. Um, you have pundits. Uh, writers, uh, the black uh, commenting class, uh, Charles Blow, uh, the communitarian uh, who wrote a New York Times op-ed, Biden is, quote, problematic with an antiquated view on racial matters and racial sensitivities. You hear that a lot from a lot of brilliant black writers out there, uh, Jamal Bowie, uh, Jamal Smith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the fact that Biden is the top choice among African-American voters for 42 percent. Look at who's next. Bernie Sanders with 12 percent. I mean, it's not even close. There's a big division, there often is, between the pundits and the public. I think part of it kind of boils down to that a lot of people are are not paying close attention. They weren't in the third hour of that debate or the second hour, whatever it was. If you weren't being paid to watch it, you might not have been watching it. And so they know Biden. They feel like he is someone who can win, uh, maybe because he was associated with the winner, Obama. But but there are real issues when it comes to the way Biden talks about race. That answer that he gave uh, when he asked was asked about his comments about slavery. Not only did he mention the record player, he also mentioned this study that basically implies or implies that poor black people don't talk to their children or don't talk to them as much as others or as much as white people. And so that is something that is a burden that you're putting on poor black people and basically saying that there's a deficit in the way that they teach and that they parent. Is is the idea that black people need social workers in their home or is it systemic racism and all these other issues that are holding uh, black children back? And that's something that he still yeah. has to address, and he has to be able to address it, not just on the teleprompter. And, Ron, a senior Obama-Biden administration official, uh, one that does not work for a campaign, told me of Biden's debate performance, quote, Biden's strength has never been his clarity of message or his delivery, but watching his long, winding answers that don't really make sense in recent debates has also raised the question as to whether that has gotten worse 
and whether he is up for this. This is not somebody yeah. who works for a rival. And, and that is absolutely that's absolutely an issue I, that is going to get probably get bigger uh, as we go. I mean, I covered him in 1988 and 2008. He's never been a great candidate. But certainly what we saw, you know, at the, in that last hour was prob- very problematic for him. The, to me, to your point, there, we could see an enormous generation gap in the African-American community in this vote. You know, Bernie Sanders won black voters under 30 narrowly. I'm guessing that Biden performs more poorly than Hillary Clinton did with black voters under 30. But I think among older African-American voters, there's a lot of ground for the other candidates to cover. That may be more difficult to dislodge. There's Briefly. a lot of history there that goes beyond a debate performance. But that is the key to this. We're all obsessed about Iowa and bloody Twitter. I was going to use a different Ooh. word, but it's a family show. Yeah. <laughs> The, the person in my party who can capture the African-American vote is going to be the nominee. That's not guaranteed to Joe. He has to earn it. But the first strategy session we had with Bill Clinton, we said that. The path to the nomination lies through African-Americans. They picked the winners in Democratic primary. Right, not the pain in the ass white liberals on Twitter. And let me just remind everyone that debate just happened. What he said can be further weaponized by his opponents and used to drive those poll numbers down with African-American voters. True. Everyone uh, stick around. We haven't seen this in more than 10 years. The major strike in the heart of Trump country that could spell... Some trouble for the president. That's next. Stay with us. It's all about manufacturing. And we're bringing it back in record numbers. President Trump, of course, promised he was going to bring back manufacturing jobs to the U.S. That task just got more complicated with the strike announced by nearly 50,000 General Motors union workers in the Midwest and the South demanding that the automotive giant reopen idle plants and up their pay. CNN's Ryan Young joins me now live from Flint, Michigan. And Ryan, this is the biggest strike by any labor union in the U.S. in more than a decade. Yeah, it's the first time it's a strike like this since 2007. You can hear the energy behind this as people go by honking to support all these workers who are standing outside. This is one of like five sites just in this general area. They want better health care. They want better wages. And look, we talk to some people who say this is a fight for the middle class. They want to make sure that everyone across this country understands that. In fact, listen to this one worker who says they're fighting for everyone across this country. Well, this is a battle for the middle class. This is, it had to start, it's starting right now, and it's got to be, we've got to do this now and together. We're hoping for unity. We're hoping the other two of the big three go out the same way we did. However long it takes, we're going to be here and we're going to do what we have to do. Look, when you talk to the people here, they say, look, not only do they want better health care, but it's the idea that those shuttered plants, when GM's making so much money, they want to see those reopen. So that's a part of the conversation. Of course, they've decided to do this just last night, Jake. And negotiations are ongoing between General Motors and the union. We're hearing that talks have been really tense. Yeah, absolutely. That's what one of the sources told us, that the talks have been tense, but they're ongoing. They haven't gone to 24 hours a day just yet. This could cost GM a lot of money in the end. So hopefully, and what folks are telling us, they hope this wraps up pretty soon. All right, Ryan, thanks so much. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.